The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Happy Friday. It's an absolutely stellar spring day outside, and the weather boosts our spirits, as does the rising number of people vaccinated for COVID-19 in Massachusetts, currently approaching 1.2 million people who have been fully vaccinated as of this Friday afternoon. But how equitable has the distribution of vaccine been in the Bay State? Some public officials and advocates started pushing for vaccine equity even before the Baker administration had unveiled its distribution plan. Then, in mid-February, the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition launched, and they made five demands of Governor Baker. Those included improved language access in vaccine outreach, tracking impact on Black and Latinx residents, and implementing a promised boost in doses sent to the most impacted communities. Today on The Takeout, Katie Lannon of the Statehouse News Service checks in with two of that coalition's co-chairs on where we stand with vaccine equity as April approaches. Our guests are Dr. Atia Martin of the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition and Eva Malona of the Massachusetts Immigrant and Refugee Advocacy Coalition. And both of them are co-chairs of the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition. Thanks for joining us. So today we have Dr. Atia Martin and Ava Malona from the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition joining us. And thanks to you both for, for being here, um, here in the Zoom with us today. And I do want, kind of want to start from a, a pretty basic point. When you're, when you're talking about vaccine equity, what, what does that mean to you? What, what does that, that phrase that we hear so often mean? Thank you so much, Katie. Um, so for context, we need vaccine equity because there are inequities, right? And those inequities um, oftentimes are based on race or racism, um, based on um, uh, xenophobia, based on all of these different um, ideas that we have about who people are and how they're supposed to be and therefore what they deserve or don't deserve and how we think about policies and programs and initiatives. And so vaccine equity really is about making sure that we're not designing one-size-fits-all policies that only work for some people. We design them as one-size-fits-all, um, uh, thinking that it applies to everyone, but it actually doesn't. Um, and so without intentionality behind um, what are the different realities people are dealing with, where do we see the highest numbers of, in the, in the instance of COVID-19, where do we see the highest number of cases, where do we see the highest numbers of hospitalizations, and how are we making sure that we're matching the resources to where the greatest needs are and supporting people through the process? Because if we are going to try to achieve community immunity or herd immunity, um, we need to have targeted strategies that can reach everyone. Without that intentionality, we end up perpetuating inequities without meaning to do so. So that's at a very broad scale. We have specific things we're looking for in terms of vaccine equity, but that's the big picture. Ava, I don't know if there's something you wanted to add to that. 
No, I think that was um, well said, Dr. Martin, and that's the reason why our coalition came together out of the shared concern with, you know, Massachusetts' inequitable um, rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. And we know, as you, you know, stated that the communities of color and immigrant communities in Massachusetts have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 infection and hospitalization and um, death rates. So, this is, you know, a culmination of structural racism um, in our country. And as the pandemic has only aggravated the inequities um, that have long uh, existed. So we do need uh, specific policies and structures in place to um, to address this issue, short term and long term. No, we have seen the, the states take some action, some funding, some initiatives aimed at equity in the vaccine rollout. But there's a, a specific list, I think, of five items your, your coalition is looking for, um, including $10 million to, to community organizations for outreach uh, and implementation of setting aside 20% doses for most impacted communities, um, clear goals and benchmarks mirroring the disproportionate impact on Black and Latinx residents, improved language access and cultural competence, um, and the, the appointment of a, a vaccine czar or someone to, to be specifically focused on, on vaccine equity. And I guess, how did you, how did you settle on, on these items? What, what makes these the, the correct approach or the approach you're looking for? Mm -hmm. I can kick us off and then I'll pass it over to Ava. There are certain practices that are best practices um, that we know work in terms of emergency management, public health, the public health approach, in terms of what it means to reach large numbers of people in making sure that those who are usually left out are included. That said, when we think about the approaches to do that, those promising practices, investing in communities, in the infrastructure that already exists with trusted partners who are already on the ground doing work to help communities of color, poor communities or immigrant communities to get access. Those are the organizations that we need to be investing in, in order to support this work to be able to reach the most people. Uh, when we think about um, what it means for us to be able to uh, have a someone who is accountable and has the authority to oversee equity across the state. We know that in those cases, um, when the person has a good team um, and have the authority, they're able to influence and oversee how we are doing this work. They're able to make sure that we're paying attention to the things that we oftentimes forget to pay attention to in the, the urgency and the pace of day-to-day of -day work. And that's related to the data piece um, because in order to have accountability, in order to track the work, you need the data. Um, and so having the baseline data of the, uh, by race and by immigrant um, status or, or um, country of origin allows us to be able to understand where we need to focus our attention so that we are um, giving vaccine or making sure that we're placing vaccine resources where they're needed most. Without that data, we can't understand the full scope of the problem at a smaller geographic scope than a municipality, a city or a town. Um, and we can't set clear goals. 
Um, and that which brings us to the second part of that data collection, which is, and we need clear targets. We need clear strategies and goals uh, for what we're trying to accomplish with equity. Just saying that we're trying to accomplish equity is not a goal, um, a, a targeted goal in and of itself, right? We need to know um, how will we measure that. We need to know um, what are the approaches we're going to use to head in that direction and, and being able to make that transparent. And then the, the last couple of pieces I'll speak to um, are really about the um, power of being able to support the, um, the language access um, available, not just um, when people are scheduling, but when they show up to get their vaccination so that they understand what's happening, if they need to get their second dose, how that process works, all of those pieces. Um, and then the, this piece around um, the 20% additional doses um, really is about a commitment the state made in the or in the beginning. And so that's us giving back, um, saying, you know, this is a commitment that was made. And so what what are we doing in order to actually reach that goal of have, making sure that 20% of vaccinations reach people of color in the most impacted communities? Um, Ava? Um, well said. Um, I am really grateful to the work that the coalition has done and to your leadership, Dr. Martin. I mean, these are really urgent uh, policy recommendations that um, need to be implemented in order for um, the equity to be um, where it should be and the impacted communities um, can receive what they need. Um, and I do want to say that, you know, um, these are incredible times and, and want to recognize the enormous amount of work that the governor and the administration and Secretary Sutters have put into this. Um, and we recognize that um, we're thankful for all that has been done, and especially for the progress. Uh, for example, the governor recently announced an additional 27.4 million in federal funding for the administration of the vaccine equity uh, initiative, um, and then another $4 million to go to the community um, organizations. But um, as Dr. Martin mentioned, the 20% uh, additional uh, doses to go to the community uh, mostly impacted remain uh, a major concern for, uh, for our coalition and our work. Um, we never questioned the, um, the intent and the verbal commitment of the administration, uh, but the numbers are really alarming. Um, if we look at the statewide, white residents have received 14.7 times more doses than Black residents, 15.0% times more doses than Latinx residents, and 17.5 times more doses than Asian residents. So if we put it in, um, in another way, 25.7% of white residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine compared to 16.9% of black residents, 14.8% of Asian residents, and 9.8% of Latinx residents. So these disparities are most pronounced in the communities that have been hardest hit by COVID-19. We know in Lawrence, 82% of the population is Latino, but only 3% of the Latino
Latino residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine. White residents make up just 12% of the Lawrence population, but 47% have received at least one vaccine. And this needs to change, and it needs to change immediately, because this puts all of our communities at greater risk. And this was the reason why um, last month organizations came together and formed the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition and issued the recommendation that Dr. Martin very well articulated that are a must do and it needs to happen now. Thank you for that, Ava. One one piece I'll add, um, if it's okay, Katie. Yeah, go for it. Just the, so, so the Baker administration has put out the $4 million plus the additional $27.4 million um, to be allocated to communities. And to Ava's point, um, we are glad to see that because it is a step in the right direction. The consistent opportunity that we've had um, that is also a challenge um, is needing clarity on how quickly that funding is going to come to communities and faith-based organizations um, and how it's going to be distributed to them. Right. And so the, it's always the details where um, that impact whether or not we are successful in actually getting resources to the folks closest to the work. Um, and instead of building new things around work that people are already doing. So, so those details on the kind of how the funding will be distributed and how that will work. Are, are those some of the things you're looking for? And I know you're was seeking a, a meeting with the governor this week to, I guess, kind of pose some questions to him and get an update. What are the, the things you're, you're looking for more information from the, the governor, from the administration on? So I would say uh, number one um, is for this funding, um, not just um, how it will be distributed, but what is the what is the strategy for getting it in the hands of the right organizations um, who are closest to the work? Um, I think that is probably the, one of the biggest things. Um, and then an update on the big picture of the demands that we submitted, right? So we haven't heard anything about the data. We haven't heard anything about um, who is the person um, or team who is really focused on vaccine equity as we open up the floodgates of everyone being able to get vaccinated. Because just because we open the door for um, uh, eligibility requirements where everyone can get access, it doesn't mean that it's going to magically be equitable. Right? Um, and so there has to be intentionality without us being intentional about how we do things. We unintentionally perpetuate these inequities. Um, and so being able to really get an update on these demands um, and how we can partner. This isn't about being adversarial. This is about us having a shared goal of getting the most possible and understanding that we need to have a nuanced, coordinated strategy that is going to actually reach uh, the most people in our commonwealth. And that requires this kind of partnership and these kinds of conversations that hold all of us accountable to um, being able to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. And we would like to be part of the solution. We want to work with the administration to make sure that we'll bring everything that we can um, 
we, among our 30 plus organizations who are members of the coalition, we represent hundreds and thousands of people who have been disproportionately impacted. So we would like to work with the administration to offer all that we can um, to really uh, get the results that we need. We need clarity on how quickly the new funding for community-based organizations, faith-based organizations who have the trust of the community, who understand the culture, who speak, you know, uh, the languages of different communities who are hard to reach, uh, will get the resources that they need um, and there will be additional investment for them. Uh, we also need to know, you know, uh, which goals um, the administration has to set to measure its progress on um, closing racial gaps. And our suggestion was that the vaccine distribution goals should really mirror the proportionate of hospitalization experienced by each racial group. So we are eager to uh, to meet with the administration to talk this um, recommendations, the timing, and really bring the voices of the communities uh, hard. I mean, the communities that have been um, hit so hard um, at the table. Great. And we, we've talked a lot so far, and I mean, naturally so. This is a, a state-driven process. We've talked a lot about the what's being done at the state level, but they're not the only players in this in this process. There are, as you both mentioned, there's a lot of organizations that are involved, kind of reaching out to people directly, um, communicating with vulnerable populations. Um, I mean, you both you both know that, um, Dr. Martin. Whether it's the the Black Boston COVID nineteen coalition, Ava, you're at Mira. Um, you you see kind of a, a perspective that I don't necessarily get. Um, all the time. What are what are you seeing that's being done by you know organizations on the ground to to reach these populations? Some some areas where you're you're maybe seeing success. Mm. Thank you for asking that question because uh, now we get to um, problem solving and strengths based approaches. So for the Black Boston COVID nineteen coalition, um, there's a, a broad strategy. Um, so there's the grass top stuff. And that's what we've been talking about up to this point, the advocacy, the kind of working with state and as well as um, local leaders. But from a grassroots perspective, the work we're doing on the ground, um, the outreach to communities in multiple language, uh, not just translating flyers to let folks know about things, but it's also about um, making sure that people have access to translation services and support when they show up at different locations. Um, so we've had people canvassing on the ground, knocking on doors, going to um, public places where, where folks have to go, like the supermarket, um, and being able to engage with folks and get them appointments right on the spot. We've um, been partnering with CIC Health, who uh, manages many of the uh, state's mass vaccination sites and particularly our focus is on the Reggie Lewis Center um, and being able to get people um, tickets that allow them to, to get an appointment. So basically you get handed a ticket and your appointment is on that ticket um, and you show up that day and that time and you get vaccinated to kind of accelerate the process. Um, we've also um, done phone banking, making phone calls to community members to let them know that we're here to support them um, if they want to get vaccinated um, here's how we can help you, let's do it right now kind of situation, um, and as well as making sure that 
um, folks are supported in other ways. So testing is still a big deal. We don't know the scope of the challenge unless we are still testing. Um, and because we get the vaccine, does it mean that um, testing is no longer important? Um, and so making sure that we're still um, providing those resources to folks as well. Um, and the last thing I'll say is um, there's a certain level of reassurance people get by seeing folks who look like them involved in a process, um, which is also the reason why uh, the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition has hosted several events um, at the Reggie Lewis Center where we've um, recruited Black doctors and Latinx nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals to give vaccinations uh, to the community um, during these events. So folks know that when they show up, this is a different kind of experience uh, for them. Um, so I, I will do a shameless plug that tomorrow, Saturday, uh, March 27th, um, we'll be hosting another one of those events um, and really targeting um, uh, communities of color, but particularly um, the, the newest round of folks who have become eligible, especially our frontline workers who, who are who have been um, uh, kind of left out up to this point who we depend on the most. Ava? Um, the members of MIRA across the state have been doing incredible work. Um, you know, during the crisis on the testing, um, now on the vaccine um, equity uh, across the state, and they are the real heroes, uh, helping individuals to understand, you know, that the vaccine is free, it's safe, they have to, um, for those eligible, uh, they must go, they're supporting them and taking them to the centers to get the vaccine. Um, so I do want to say they are the real heroes. Um, and their capacity, it's limited. They are overworked and we are eager to really get the details for the resources to go to them as soon as possible because A, for people who are eligible, they need the help, they need to, you know, the transportation, they need people to make their appointments and, it, you know, they need the support to get to the centers uh, to get the vaccine. And also um, there is an enormous amount of work that needs to be done also on the narrative and all the education as to why is it important to get the vaccine and address those fears. Immigrant communities have been under attack uh, for the last four years, you know, um, needless to say, from, you know, policies um, that the previous, you know, federal administration had implemented. So there are a lot, I mean, those fears are still present in the community. And um, so a lot of work needs to be done to make sure that people understand that the immigration status, it's irrelevant at this point, the vaccine, um, they are not going to be asked about their immigration status, or if they don't have health insurance, they don't, or if they don't have an ID, they don't have to show one. Um, so those resources going to the community the clarity as to how those uh, uh, resources available with the, will be distributed. It's really key um, at this moment in time. Everyone can and should get vaccinated as soon as they are eligible, regardless of immigration status. So there will be no immigration consequences for receiving the vaccine or any form of COVID-19 treatment. And I want to make that point. As I said, the fears are still present, especially in mixed 
status, household, families. And I do want to take this opportunity to say that immigration enforcement will not conduct any enforcement operations um, at or near vaccine distribution sites or clinics. And um, But in order for this message to get through the education and the outreach that our uh, members are doing and need um, to continue to be doing, need those resources as soon as possible to really expand the capacity. And everything Ava just said really is um, highlighting the importance of collaboration. Communities can't do this by themselves. Government cannot do this by itself. Right? So the, the, the collaboration that allows us to accomplish um, the goals of vaccine equity really um, re really is a, a opportunity for us to do approach this from a different in a different way um, and a, to approach this in a way that's really about the people who are on the ground closest to the work the people who are disproportionately bearing the burden of COVID-19 um, and so the resources that Ava is talking about um, are vital, <clears throat> excuse me, for the people on the ground, because folks have been using elbow grease and, um, and, and love and um, just hard work to be able to support people um, in their communities. And that's amazing and wonderful and beautiful. <clears throat> and it's not sustainable, right? The resources need to come um, in order to make that happen. And government needs the, those folks on the ground doing that work because we need people to actually show up at these sites. We need people to actually show up at mobile vaccination sites when we have more of those available. And that only works when we're collaborating, which is why it's so important for us to meet with the governor. And one more point I wanted to add, if I may, you know, picking up on the collaboration, I do want to acknowledge the enormous um, contribution of philanthropy in this issue from the testing to the vaccine uh, Bar Foundation um, has stepped in big time, Eastern Bank uh, charitable foundations and other entities. So the role of philanthropy has been incredible, but there is no um, philanthropy in the world to really provide the resources needed to address all these issues. So I think it's important that, you know, um, the government resources and also the philanthropy resources uh, combined. And there is communication in this collaboration of a private and public partnership because we are in this together. And, um, you know, this is the collaboration um, and, and philanthropy and government coming together, the community-based organization and the community doing the work, I think it's the key to success. Thank you for saying that, Ava. Um, that's really critical, a key point. And I think as we move forward with this, um, with this work that we all have to do together, um, that we also acknowledge the pain and suffering that so many of uh, so many in our communities are struggling through right now, um, and just spending some time just to just acknowledge that. Um, some of us are living lives where some of that suffering and pain and even death is invisible to us. Um, and so I just want to lift that up in this moment for folks who um, who might be um, at arm's length or maybe even those things being um, out of sight for them, um, that we acknowledge and take the time to um, show 
respect for um, the, the differences and experiences that people are having in terms of the impact of COVID-19 on rural people's lives. And to say to communities um, that we have a lot of power in the situation. Um, we don't have all the resources, but we, um, as the folks who are closest to the work, um, have the ability to influence, um, which is why coalitions like the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition and the Black Boston COVID-19 Coalition, the Mira Coalition and all other folks across the state who are doing this work is, is so important. And I hope everyone gets their vaccine. Um, I've gotten my vaccinations, both shots. Um, at this point, I got Pfizer and encourage everyone to get theirs as well. Great. I, that's a that's a great note to, to kind of wrap up on. I think there's a a, a, a note of hope in the uh, the idea of getting vaccines. And there's still um, aside from that, there's still a lot of heavy things to hold in mind. And as we continue in this and um, I know we at the news service will continue to, to follow the, the advocacy work your coalition does um, to keep our eye on the, the state funds and where those go and the, the demographic and other vaccine distribution numbers. So um, lots to think about and lots to watch as we move ahead. I know we're not gonna be the only ones looking at it. So thanks to you both for, uh, for taking the time to have this discussion with us today. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for having us. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.